Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today, we've got the Rolling Stones trumping Trump, Black China protecting her good Kardashian name, and more. Stick with us here on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to Justice is Served, where we cover the latest in legal news on a weekly basis here on Black Hollywood Live. My name is Chelsea Galicia. I am joined by my co-host, Shaka Smith, for another fabulous episode of Justice is Served. Thanks for joining us. We're going to dive into some pretty kind of random and a good variety of stories yeah, this week. Yeah, we had a I good mix. Yeah, great mix. Absolutely. So let's start with Trump, because I guess we wouldn't be good uh, a good media outlet unless we started everything with Trump. So we, <laughs> right. I guess we'll go along with that train just for a little while. Yeah, more free press. Yeah, and then, uh, but this one is Trump going down in defeat. Mm. Um, his, his enemy this time, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. The Rolling Stones are not rolling with Trump, and so they've made sure that Trump will never use their music at any of his events again. Why'd they do this? Well, I think they're just not supporters of Trump. Uh, you know, this is not you know this is not just a Trump issue. It happens almost every every time we have elections, and these candidates are using other people's songs. But a lot of them are coming out to say, "Hey, Trump, you can't use Don't my use stuff." Ours. Adele yeah. and yeah. a number of people have come out. Yeah, as we know, typically artists tend to be a little bit more liberal. Then, of course, Trump has said some very incendiary things uh, on this election cycle, so it's no surprise. But um, it looks like Trump does have uh, a leg to stand on. What? And so, yeah, so basically, the, the, a lot of these licenses are covered broadly by ASCAP and BMI, which are two um, nonprofit organizations that license music and then give the artists the royalties. So as long as the venue or the Trump campaign has a license via ASCAP or BMI, they're actually fine. Um, one thing to note is that BMI does have an opt-out provision. So if an artist does not want a particular song used, they can um, opt out that song out of the license. Just a song, but not all of their music. Yeah, they can choose, yeah, pick and choose. And so, so he does have... he. It looks like he does have the licensing via one of those um, one of those organizations. However, there still is false advertising, which they could sue for. To because it makes it look like the artist can, can is supportive of, of the, their yeah, campaign. So if it does, they'd have to make a you know make a case. But if it makes it look as if the Rolling Stones are supporting Trump and part of the campaign, then they have that sort of false advertising to fall back on. And then we also have a right of publicity. And the right of publicity is really, it's, it's a property right, so it kind of follows you after you're dead, you know, your family can use it. Um, it's the right to say, you cannot use my likeness, my image, my name, for anything that promotes what you're doing, if, even if it's not for profit. So even if, a, if it was a sort of PSA campaign, then that right of publicity, they would have to take that down. So this is one of the fights that Trump has elected not to come back on because yeah, he no. has said if they don't want me to use it I guess I won't use it. Yeah, and there's so many songs, you know, that you could choose from, but what was so great is when you know he had the whole thing with Steven Tyler and then he said he he tweets, you know, he's a big tweeter Trump and he said to Steven Tyler, uh, I won't use your song, you asked me not to, but no worries, I found an even better song to use. <laughs> of course you know? he would say that. <laughs> so. All right, so along the same vein in the world of intellectual property, mm -hmm. let's talk now about Black China trademarking her Kardashian name. Yeah. So it feels like just like within a week's time she got m pregnant and engaged. Yeah, crazy. All right, so things move in quickly. And so Black China, whose real name is Angela Renee White, mm -hmm. 
hurried out to trademark her Kardashian name. Yeah. Why so quickly? I mean, I guess it's just this is their thing. They move really fast with babies and weddings and names. Yeah. Or she's just a savvy businesswoman. Yeah, I think both. I, I think we saw Kim Kardashian West trademarking that early on before she was married. And so I think she wanted to protect that name. The and name, she, at first I was like, what is she going to do, Plaque China Kardashian? That sounds no, kind of yeah. silly. She's using her real first name and middle name, Angela Renee, and then Kardashian. Yes, because if anyone had beat her to that trademark, then all of a sudden she would not be able to use it, or they can kind of extort her and say, I'll sell you this trademark, and she'd have to pay an exorbitant amount of money. Um, already I checked out, um, you know, the same thing kind of applies to the internet and domain names, and already I checked out Black Kardashian to see if that had been taken, and that's already been taken. So it was a very savvy legal move to go ahead yeah. and do this. And she has no right to try and claim any ownership over BlackKardashian.com. That's not uh, something she's trademarked or has any legal rights to. Yeah, so unless she can show that it's creating some sort of... Confusion uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, con it's con creating some sort of confusion. It's malicious in some way. Yeah. Right. Uh, the other interesting thing is that she, you, you, when you tra trademark something, it has to be for a particular region and sort of area of use. Yeah. So you can't just like own, even Shaka Smith, like for here on in eternity yeah, for, for everything. everything yeah. Perhaps you can use it for fitness modeling, yeah. but probably not for if you were the chef of baby food. Yeah, exactly. So um, Angela Renee Kardashian will be protected for brand promotion. So this gives us an insight into like who she thinks sort of she is and what she's trying to protect. Brand promotions, TV, movie appearances as a social media celebrity. But not nothing in there about like being an author or <laughs> any... I don't know. Some, I mean, author is like something that um, yeah. a lot of these. I mean, any, everybody writes a book. I'm surprised yeah. that she didn't put something in there for author or for something like that. But that's sort of where she has um, is staking her claim yeah, in the Kardashian and, empire. And it was smart because anybody could have changed their name legally to Angela Kardashian and then trademarked the name. It, one thing that's important to note when you do trademark these things, um, you basically sign an affidavit saying that. You have a right to the trademark. You're not essentially doing it maliciously and won't create some sort of broad confusion. So, if you were to legally change your name and trademark it, then she would have, you know, no way, no very little recourse to try to get that trademark back. All right. Okay. So then, shifting gears in a major, major way, we're going to talk now about the North Carolina bathroom law. And this has gotten a lot of attention and a lot of controversy from the get-go. So yeah. very recently, North Carolina's governor, Pat McCrory, signed into law a, a bill that bans transgendered people from using the restroom of their preference and forces them to use the restroom that they were sort of assigned to by their birth biology, I guess mm -hmm. we could say. And it's been dubbed the bathroom law, but it sort of goes beyond that. It makes yeah. it easier for companies to fire people who are lesbian, gay, transgendered, um, and I it, think the most outrageous part is it was banning um, other cities from creating anti-discrimination laws against people of uh, LGBTQ. Right. No ordinances in North Carolina can be designed to uh, combat discriminatory. So it was like right. an it was a anti-anti-discriminatory law. Yeah. Just crazy. So the uh, Department of Justice. Uh, um, 
a lot with, along with a lot of Americans have been really offended by this. And just this week, the Department of Justice has filed a civil rights claim. So this has gone to the federal level really quickly with North Carolina filing two suits and the Department of Justice also filing two suits. We had Loretta Lynch come out and make some pretty bold statements yeah. about the department's um, stand and the Obama's administration's stand on this. What part were you really impressed by? Well, she I, came out with her comments. Well, I, I love the stern, I guess, how stern she was. She, she compared this to Brown v. Board of Education. She compared it to ending Jim Crow laws. That was the spirit um, of, her, of her tone. And she wanted to underscore that this is the next civil rights fight. Right. You know, it's and like that, the last frontier, or I guess it, it seems like the last one yeah, now when, until the next one comes. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it was important for her to note that they were actually going to get on top of this early and make sure that this was not going to become another another issue that we've had in the past. Or allowed to be like a Jim Crow law that yeah. just goes on and on. Okay, so North Carolina, for its part, says that this law is about privacy mm -hmm. and protecting women and girls. I, I don't see how that can be true. I mean, I, theoretically, the concern is that you'll have straight heterosexual men dressing up intentionally as women to get into the women's bathroom and then assault women. Yeah. Okay, I hear that, except I don't think there's ever been a story of that. I think I heard of ever, even one, before these were issues. A mentally news, ill yeah. man. But this is not something that's been an issue in yeah. North Carolina. Or, or anywhere. Or anywhere in this yeah. country. And there are a number of other states, I think about a dozen other states, that are considering legislation similar to this. Yeah. So I hear what North Carolina's trying to say. They're saying they're protecting state workers and, and women and children. I, I think it, it, but it's disingenuous. You it's know? from yeah. a phantom, non-existent crime. And when you've built in a, a ban on banning discrimination, it, it, it just seems You've disingenuous to say that. you your own cover. Exactly. And <laughs> so the DOJ actually, they had sent them a letter before any of these suits were filed. They sent them a letter saying, we believe your law is in violation, mm -hmm. we'd like a response. And instead of responding with, you know, I guess their, the merits of what they believe the law was, um, the law had, they responded with a suit. And then the DOJ, DOJ followed suit. So and they've really doubled down. I mean, it's so weird that they're saying that they're, this is to prevent assault. Yet, I'm pretty sure, and by pretty sure I mean absolutely sure, that assault is already a crime. Yeah. And it's already been legislated. So to me, they can't even hide the hate behind this this law. And yeah, we know that financially that, you know, the state's been hit very hard with different artists canceling concerts and um, companies moving, uh, canceling plans to move to North Carolina, which is a big one because companies provide ongoing revenue. I've, I've seen estimates of a loss of about $5 billion between educational grants. Loretta Lynch you oh. know, made, said, you know, the federal government gives billions of dollars to the University of North Carolina, and that is in jeopardy if you guys insist on sticking by this yeah, law. Yeah, quite frankly, we may never know how big the, um, the economic impact has been. Right. So then if this goes up, you know, uh, not if, I mean, it's, I guess we've already gotten to that day. So federally, the, the Department of Justice filed a claim based on civil rights. Mm -hmm. Civil Rights Act of 1964 protects people on the basis of race, religion, amongst other things, and sex. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the basis that they're saying this anti-discriminatory or this discriminatory law can't stand because it's in violation of that provision. The question is whether the protection of sex is meant to uh, include transgender people. Yeah. 
any idea which way that'll go? Because I don't think that's ever been explicitly stated. It was certainly not explicitly yeah. stated in the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, I think it's going to go um, the, the way it should go. We already know that the Fourth Circuit, with it last week, ruled the same thing. But they use a provision in the Title IX law to cover um, transgender students using public bathrooms uh, in schools. And so that was found that you could not create a discriminatory atmosphere. And so, and that actually covers North Carolina. So. You know, their suit never even made reference to that, um, So, the, and the governor has you know, not made reference to that, that ruling at all. Yeah, most of the cases in other parts of the country that are somewhat related to this, there was a young boy that sued his school yeah. because he wasn't allowed to. He's been, uh, he won that. So yeah. there's been small victories for transgender plaintiffs that give us the insight that this is probably not going to go well for North Carolina. And so, yeah, and given that history, I don't know why the governor is still so ardently um, supporting this law, he already knows that you know he's bound by the Fourth Circuit. So I, I and when I it comes to I public know. schools, yeah. And then we're not. This is not going to go to the Supreme Court anytime soon. But my wheels are already turning <laughs> as to what this would look like in front of the Supreme Court. So yeah. here's my little analysis. Um, this is how I think it would go. So anytime that a state discriminates against any group, the the Supreme Court will will listen to the case, will analyze the case under three different standards, depending on the class of people. So like if there was a discriminatory act based upon um, race, black people, that would get a strict scrutiny. They would yeah. look at it very skeptically, and it's very difficult for a state to uphold a law that the Supreme Court um, analyzes based on this strict scrutiny. Yeah. Then there's sort of this like intermediate scrutiny for for women yeah. and I get I think elderly maybe in yeah. there. Um, I can't remember what else. It's been a while since law school. <laughs> so that's intermediate intermediate and it, it's sort of a 50-50 likelihood that the Supreme Court is going to find it unconstitutional because it violates or it doesn't meet the standard. And then the lowest standard is the rational basis. So where there's not a protected class is discriminated against and the state nearly only has to show that there's a rational relationship between the law and a state interest. Yeah, so it's usually the state's usually going to win under a rational basis test. Right. So I'm thinking for North Carolina their best bet is that the Supreme Court hears this under the rational basis test because mm -hmm. transgendered people are not explicitly included in the strict scrutiny standard or, or in the intermediate. intermediate. It's possible that the Supreme Court or legislation will put them in one of those categories. But as, but as of right now, transgender at best, I think for North Carolina, will go in a rational basis. Okay, so that's a sort of a win for North Carolina. Yeah. However, they still have to show that there's a rational basis for which they need to pass this law, yeah, there's that there's a state interest. Okay, their state interest that they have said so far is that they're interested in protecting women and children from assaults in restrooms and locker rooms. Yeah. But when the Supreme Court says, okay, how many times has a woman or child been assaulted in a locker room or restroom, and North Carolina goes, um, not any that we could find, then the Supreme Court would say that there is no rational basis. Yeah. It's not, it theoretically protects somebody, but in reality, and, it doesn't. And how does, and what's the reasonable relationship? Because how does even using the bathroom of your gender prevent assault? Right. So yeah. I think even under the sort of best case scenario analysis for North Carolina, they still, still yeah. lose. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't wait to see if I'm right, but it'll take <laughs> I'm a while. Certain, yeah. All right. And now a 
Another very different kind of case, the Grim Sleeper here in L.A. There was a man who was on a killing spree for about 30 years before yeah. he was caught. And he's called the Grim Sleeper because there was a gap of about 14 years where he's believed to not have committed any killings, although now they're saying, wait a minute, maybe, maybe there's some there others, were some. But like 88 and 02, it looks like. Right. So the Grim Sleeper is uh, Lonnie Franklin Jr., 63-year-old mm -hmm. uh, black man who used to um, be like a garage attendant for the police department yeah. and a garbage collector. Uh, he was convicted of killing uh, 10 women, nine uh, adult women and one teenage girl, yeah. and then there was another woman who got away. And, and they were all black women, and they were all sort of, you know, hard on their luck, you know. So, some were drug users, some prostitutes, and so this was a community he targeted. And this was, re they were really heinously discarded um, in alleyways, in dumpsters, and it took them a very long time, obviously, to, to find him. There's a lot of anger about how long it took that the LAPD didn't take it that seriously because of the nature of the victims. Yeah, and they said it was police indifference is why this guy was never caught. But I, 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 I look at how they ultimately caught him, and I'm incredibly impressed by the tactics yeah, that finally it, got him caught. It's like they're trying to make up for the, for the bad, but right. I, that is a problem I think we, we have, and I think we definitely had in the past, was that certain victims were not valued. And whether in the past it was because they weren't valued because they were black, or now because they're poor, yeah. um, th that's an issue these police departments need to address. But here, they really kind of, once they realized the issue, they, yeah. they went crazy. I think once they realized, and, and the science caught up yeah. to help them. So this is crazy. This is going to sound, I'm sure Law & Order had to have done something like this, but <laughs> this is truly amazing how they solved this crime. So it was about three, or a couple of the victims um, had DNA that matched each other. And so that's how police started to see that some of these murders were related. But they tried to run that DNA against the database of state prisoners, and it came up with no matches. And then in um, 2007 or so, Attorney General Jerry Brown, who is now our governor in California, approved a new technique called familial DNA, where they can test the DNA and see if it's at least a partial match to anybody in the database. And so the police did that, and up came Franklin's son, who had been arrested in 2008 for firearm and drug offenses. And so because his son had been arrested and was in the system, did they have anywhere to really start. So they uh, didn't think it was the son himself, and they zeroed in on the father. And in order to get his DNA, this is where it gets extra crazy. Incredible story. An, a police detective went undercover as a busboy in a pizza restaurant where Lonnie Franklin was attending a kid's birthday party. And the busboy slash undercover officer took um, like leftover pizza crusts, forks, napkins, cups that uh, Lonnie Franklin had used, and tested the DNA from that. And then it turned out to be a match with the one that was found on the women. So that is how they came. That and then they raided his house after he was arrested and, and found, found the gun, gun yeah. that matched him to several other women. So uh, it's believed that he even killed another 
five women that he was not convicted of mm -hmm. in this, this trial. And there was also one survivor who testified against him. Right. So the, the victims um, that we want to, to pay respect to, um, there are 10 of them. They're Deborah Jackson, Henrietta Wright, Barbara Ware, Bernita Sparks, Mary Lowe, Latricia Jefferson, Alicia Alexander, Princess Berthamu, Valerie uh, McCorvey, and Janisha Peters. And then there was the 11th victim who survived, and five others who are thought to have been his victims, but he was not tried in this, um, in this trial. So he is um, up for the death penalty or yeah, life or in life, prison. Yeah. We'll find out in about a month. Uh, any guesses on which way it, that will go? Well, I'm certain it's going to be the death penalty. I mean, these these crimes were like gruesome. They, he would leave these women kind of strewn about like garbage. The, the way he left them in alleyways. Um, so I think yeah, he deserves certainly the worst that uh, the criminal system has to offer for him. Right. I I would tend to agree. Although I think that by the time that California goes to execute him, who knows? He uh, may be off the table. The Supreme Court may have um, ruled it unconstitutional, but uh, but we we'll, we'll see. But, but it'll I, be very interesting to see if they start using this technique more often. And oh, the familial DNA match. Yeah. yeah, and it can be a little scary. I mean, you, if you have family members in the system, are more likely to be found and arrested based on that family member who's in the system. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good thing. You know, more the more you can connect the dots, the the better. And maybe it's a deterrent for crime. That's even better. Yeah, and I can also see people saying that's not fair. You know, I'm I, I was uh, treated differently because my cousin's in jail. But I mean, if it's treated differently because you caught me committing, <laughs> committing a, crime. a crime, yes. <laughs> and they're not using this for you know every crime. Yeah. They're using it for serious circumstances. And I think in this circumstance, it was definitely warranted. Yeah. And I hope uh, now that the science is out, they'll be able to catch serial killers like this more quickly because yeah. of this. All right, and on to some some I think welcome good news yeah. for the city of Ferguson. Uh, the city has sworn in its first African-American police chief, Delrish Moss. Uh, Out of Miami, where yeah. I'm from, yeah. Um, what do you think of this guy? You think he'll be, is he a good choice? Is this going to make any difference I, in Ferguson? Yeah, I love Delrish Moss. He really seems to be focusing on building community relationships. And he told two stories that kind of inspired him to become an officer. Um, the first was when an officer kind of, as he's walking down the street, pulls him aside, starts to search him. This is when he's a kid. When he's a kid, he starts yeah. to search in Miami, downtown Miami, starts to search him, calls him the N-word, and tells him he shouldn't be out um, out on the streets. That happens to him. Another time, he gets kind of stopped and frisked, and the officer searches him, searches him and leaves, and never even gives an explanation as to why or what for. And he said that really, it, it really hurt. He, what, the, the, not getting the answer as to why you're being treated this way always bothered him. And he said he wanted to improve that relationship between the police and the community, and that's what inspired him to become a cop, because he saw his community getting treated that way by other police. Yeah. And so uh, that spirit is the kind of spirit you want to see in Ferguson. Right. And he's well experienced. He's got 32 years experience on the force, most of that in Miami. Mm -hmm. and, and he's trying to increase the interaction between police and community members on a more civil, warm basis to create better relationships so that 
community and the police department can work together. Yeah, because I saw a statistic, I want to say it was between 2012 and 2014, you know, African-American arrests in Ferguson were 93%, and they make up 67% of the population. And they're saying that that really is, the DOJ is, that wasn't because they were committing more crimes, it was because of the right. racial bias. Right. And so he's going to be really tasked with incrementing, um, implementing that uh, consent decree that they have with the DOJ. Right, absolutely. And I, uh, I, I was the only unhappy part of this story for me was in seeing the uh, former police chief, uh, Tom Jackson, who resigned in March of last year right after the DOJ came out with its really scathing 100-page report on Ferguson. Um, you know, that was the report that said that there was rampant and systemic racism and uh, bias, and he got a $96,000 severance pay upon departure. Does that piss you off, or what? Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm sure it was probably maybe built into his contract. But, but like, you do a terrible job, job and you're the world's worst. $100,000 is, oh, send off. Yeah, uh, I hope that sometime we get around to fixing that. Um, so that's that story, and we, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully he'll be um, really instrumental in implementing the... Um, the, the change that well, we yeah, would all like to see. I think, yeah, the spotlight's on Ferguson, so hopefully they kind of serve as a model for communities that do need to change and grow. And then Michael Brown's won't, death won't be in, in vain. vain. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, and so now we are going to end this week's episode uh, with an apology from a rapper. Mm. Shall we roll the video yeah, first? Yeah, rapper's stitches. All right. Listen, after I looked at the video, from that show in Philadelphia. I want to apologize to that fan because in the video you could clearly see he was having a good time, but still, you still put your hands on me and I don't want nobody putting their hands on me. So, me being a good person out of the kindness of my heart, <laughs> whoever that fan is, contact me through DM or whatever, contact one of my people, contact Vice, contact Straight Cash, I'm going to fly you out to Miami. I'm going to have somebody pick you up. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to leave that in the past, okay? Just don't put your hands on people, and that's it. That's the way the game goes, okay? All right. So, so uh, thank you, TMZ. Rapper Stitch, who I, stitches, I don't know. Stitches, yeah. Stitches. See, I'm getting old <laughs> or just not that cool anymore. Uh, apparently assaulted a fan, and he is apologizing. And a little backstory on Stitches is he's no stranger to these assaults. Um, in December, he had a fight with the games manager, and you know the, game man the games manager apparently beat him down <laughs> in that fight, but they were both arrested and charged. And while he's, you know, he goes to jail for that, and then 24 hours later, he comes out and he gets in another fight with um, his former members of his little crew. And so he was in the news a lot in December for these different skirmishes. And so here he is again, kind of a fan, it seems like hit him on his stomach, and then he went and kind of decked the fan. Gotcha, so with this pattern of sort of assault and violence, was this apology a good idea? And, and that's right, I, I say no. Well, what's the wisdom of the apology when you kind of already have a history of violence, and now this may give this guy, if he wants to sue you, a little bit more leverage. Uh, he did say that at the time he felt that th this was an attack, but upon watching the video, it was clear it wasn't, which make, would kind of begs the, the question, question, was it reasonable that you thought he was attacking you? All right, so the fan, you think, is going to come forward and sue or take him up on his offer of this good time in Miami? 
Well, I would say Stitches did the right thing with this offer in Miami, flying you out to a show. Probably um, going to get the the value of that is probably more than the five ten thousand dollars he can get. Yeah, from this. From, yeah, and, and then having to fight you know other attorneys. So the, I I think Stitches did it in the right way. But as an attorney, I can never advise a client to go issue a public apology for a potential assault and battery. Right. Okay. But you know, but he's a he's a good person out of the kindness of his heart. That's why he did that. Maybe he's changing. Maybe <laughs> maybe he's putting away those violent tendencies. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please come back next week for another episode of Justice Is Served. Please don't forget to comment, like, and reach out to us. Uh, I'm at Chelsea Galicia on yeah. Twitter. And I'm at Shaka Strong on Twitter and Instagram. See you guys next week. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.